listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, which has been frozen. Ah, oh, dude. For the last, like, five or six days. God, it's been cold. It, it was cold enough to get in the way of between me and a 55 Plymouth. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah, Saturday. Or was it Sunday? I don't know. I I took the uh, the Friday off, and now my weekend, I don't know which day is which. I, I, I think it was Saturday. I was going to go look at it, that, but it, it had snowed and frozen underneath, and I even put it in uh, my Nissan into four-wheel drive. I was going to... I'm going to fight my way there. Yeah. God is my witness. I'm going to see this car. And then what are you going to do when you get there? Uh, slide off into a ditch. Jack. So uh, <laughs> so I, I got I got a few miles away, and it was slippery and slidey, and everything was frozen. And I'm like, you know what? It, no. No. So a uh, guy was real nice because I, I sent him a, a message saying, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to make this. It's like I'm, I'm rolling on sheets of ice. And he's like, dude, it's worse up here. Oh, yeah. The, so. the last few days has, has been one of those. Just defining moments. One of those moments of clarity you have about, <laughs> why do I work from home? This is why I work oh, from home. Oh, that's right. I'm not taking off my bear claw slippers. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Well, I wouldn't do that no matter what. That's just sexy. Yeah. and Yeah, uh, it was eight. we got six inches of snow this morning, and my wife, it took her an hour and a half to get to work. Yeah, that's what I said. I kissed her goodbye, got the door, I go, be safe. <laughs> <laughs> Miss you already. <laughs> and that those dulcet tones are William Ross of Exotic Car Marketplace. Uh, William has been a lifelong, has had a lifelong passion for about anything with wheels from BMX bikes to go-karts to dirt bikes. And of course, cars. And Timmy. He, he, <laughs> He's been involved in the automotive industry for more than 30 years. William is the owner and president of Exotic Car Marketplace, home to both Ferrari Marketplace and Porsche Marketplace. He also discreetly brokers transactions for some of the world's most desirable collector cars. William serves as international sales director for, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Feuerbach? Feuerbach. Feuerbach Design Works. He is the chairman and founder of Rock and Revs Concours in Cleveland and heavily involved with multiple charities, including the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Aluminum Cans nice. for Burned Children, and multiple a- animal shelters. William, in ca- entombed in the snow, welcome to Driven Radio. <laughs> Pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, when did you first realize where you were a car guy? Did you have, was there somebody in your family, your dad or a brother, or who were your early influences? Well, I don't know. I guess it's just something you're always, I guess, just kind of born with. I mean, I guess you could say my dad was kind of a car person. You know, he always got my mom some cool cars. You know, and I I remember like her first one that was kind of cool was she had a a Mercury Capri, you know, the two door, you know, they brought over from Europe, from England. Um, And then he had gotten her a Corvette. And, you know, my brother, he was a few years older than me. He actually took his driver's test in that. Oh, Um, wow. So it's, Kind of from that, I guess a little bit, but I mean, I just from basically when I could, was able to get on a bicycle, you know, it's like bicycle, not fast enough. I need a motorcycle, so it just kind of went from there. So it's like, yeah, you know, I got my first motorcycle at five. So in like every every summer, we'd go out to uh, our family friends. They had a farm. We go out. Me and my brother got there for a week. My parents shipped us off. You know, got rid of us for just a week in the summer. 
had motorcycles out there and just, you know, that was all I did. Woke up, got on the bike all day, just rode the motorcycle. Yeah, um, it's the week of know, the summer. You just smell like gasoline all week. <laughs> ex- exactly. You know, so it just kind of, it just went from there. You know, it said it was just always kind of escalating, doing something fun. And, you know, then got, in, you know, did go-karts and then, you know, got into STCA stuff and just, you know, kind of just bounced around and it got to, hey, what can my checkbook, checkbook afford? Oh, I think we all live in that. <laughs> I'm knocking on that wood right a- now. <laughs> absolutely. Every car guy in the world. You know, you've seen the meme online and social media. If you teach your kids to lo- love cars early, they'll never have money for booze and drugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I think we can all relate to that. What was your first car-related job? Uh, job? Uh, yes. <laughs> Is it ever really a job if you're doing something you love? I mean, I guess that's that adage it goes, but um, it was just up at a local dealer, um, just uh, kind of washing cars, um, just kind of hanging out because they couldn't get rid of me. Um, so I just kind of one of those deals is, you know, I'd, I'd go up there, check some things out. It was a used car guy, dabbled a little bit, you know, in nicer stuff and just kind of hung out there and just say, I look at something to do and say, hey, go wash those cars. I'm like, awesome. I'm all over it. And then you kind of got to, hey, you started to give me some money and whatnot, you know, just, but um, just kind of a filler past the time, you know, obviously no internet knowing back then, you got on your bike, get whatever, you went, you run somewhere, you know, parents, hey, launch you from home before the street lights went out or whatever it was, you know, hey, as you got older, hey, just, you know, don't wake us up when you come home. You know, you, you left the house, you didn't hang out at home, no. you just took off, you know, and that's what I did, you know, and luckily, you know, where I grew up was very urban, I guess you could say, you know, just outside of Cleveland. So I didn't have too far to go. Um, so it was very helpful in that manner that I was able to do something like that. So it just kind of, you know, and then everything kind of graduated, you know, hey, you know, doing the racing side of stuff and, you know, people there and help with that. And just, you know, you just kind of kept yourself busy and whatever occupied the time and whatever got your free seat time was also a bonus. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's an awful lot of ground to cover between. I'm hanging out at the local used car guys lot. And oh, by the way, I own exotic car marketplace. <laughs> uh, can you take us through some of the progression? What were the other automotive related jobs you had? How'd you get to where well, you are? I, I worked for BMW and Mercedes for a while, but I couldn't disdain for corporate type stuff. And just that just, and, and honestly working for someone else, it just was not my cup of tea, but just it kind of what I, you know, doing, you know, racing wise, car wise, and stuff like that. You no, know, you meet people and whatnot, and it's kind of one of those things in conversations. Someone's like, "Well, hey, you know, I have this thing. I'm thinking about maybe selling or whatnot." I'm like, "Hey, I'd probably help you with that. I might know someone that wants to buy it." You know, and just it kind of just grew from that. It was just you know one of those things in conversations. Oh, hey, so and so's got this, or so and so wants to buy this. You know, hey, I'm looking for this. You know, and you go to enough events as you guys know. You go to enough things, you start talking to people, and the conversation comes up. And, you know. Someone's always looking for something. Someone's always trying to buy something. You know, and so it's just being those places and it just, hey, I just stuck my nose in there and say, hey, I can help you do something with that. Or, hey, I can help you find that because you know, I you know, knew enough people. Luckily, with what I was doing, I traveled a bit. So it wasn't like I was in this no bubble, so to speak, here in this area in Ohio. So I you know, had enough you know, wherewithal to be out and about. Um, so it just kind of grew from that. You know, and it just got to the point where it's like, look, I just got to do this myself. And, you know, doing the exotic car marketplace, you know, putting everything kind of under this umbrella, you know, um, just kind of made sense. We're working on trying to make that more of a kind of a 
I guess I'd say a media type company in regards to what we're doing. I'm working with a, a few other guys. You guys might know one's name's Don Weaver. Oh yeah. Guy, we've had Don. Crash Style Magazine. We, we've, yeah. had, we've had Don on the show. Yeah. Don's a great guy. So we're trying to formulate that. We got another guy's kind of on the background that does all our, you know, internet stuff and that. Um, what we're trying to do is kind of combine everything in regards to like with what Don's got going on, what I have going on, what Eric does as well, and kind of get under one umbrella in regards to kind of creating this more of a, not say one-stop shop, where we say, hey, you know, yeah, we got stuff for sale, but we also got events listed. We got cars listed, but we also got stories. You know, we have a couple of writers on board in regards to potentially start writing, kind of getting to the level like, you know, with uh, Magneto Magazine, Tazio, you know, those with that level type are not some fluff piece that's, you know, maybe a few hundred words long or something. You know, something that's nice and in depth, something that, you know, I get to say, Something with the more substance. Mature, the more mature audience will like, you know, get into, you know, it's more of a story. Um, yeah. So we got a couple of guys on board. We're working on uh, our initial story with a gentleman by the name of Dave Eaton. If you look up Icon 917K, he's actually, you know, did a replica of a 917. I mean, he's basically got this thing as close as possible to a, a recreation of the car. He actually took scans of David Piper's car and got it more, we get into telling what Führerbach is, do we kind of bring it on the Führerbach brand? But we're going to talk to him because Dave took Dave, who built it, took him about 10 years to do it. He built it in his garage. The guy's a brilliant engineer. Wow. That's Cat, impressive. Cat, don't think stuff like that. So we're trying to create stories like that, and, you know, just kind of like that kind of background, just really kind of get more in depth into uh, car stuff and car related things in regards to road trips. Now, hey, what can, you know, it's like, hey, I got the car. What can I do now? Hey, here's all the events you can do. Well, hey, here's, Read this story about this guy. Hey, you go up this road and here, you hit this place, you go eat here, you go check out this museum here, you know, those kind of things. Because guys are always looking for something to do. Hey, what can I go do with yeah. my car? You know, as we talk, hey, there's always something going on. It's just how do people find it and get it? So we're trying to get all that type of content into a spot where, all right, someone finds the car. Hey, I got the car. Hey, bought the car. Okay, now what do I do with the car? Well, here I can go to these events, you know, and, hey, I meet these people in the community, da, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And hey, when it comes time they want to sell, they could sell it as well. So we're trying to grow it into something along those lines, you know, and kind of and bracket it out because along with you know the Ferrari marketplace and the Porsche marketplace, we're creating regards because those are main two brands I deal in. Mm -hmm. But we also have under those it'll be down the line. We got Lamborghini marketplace, Mercedes Benz, Alfa Romeo. We got all those nice ones out there that each one's going to have its kind of total little subset because you know that way people that are very loyal to certain brands, as we all know, they can go into that one and say, all right, hey, what, what can I go do with straight to my car? What make I have? Kind of breaking it down that way. I wouldn't have any idea what it is to be loyal to just one kind of car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for yeah, my I don't home. understand that either. Yeah. Uh, it, both of Fer Exotic Car Marketplace, like you mentioned, is home to both Ferrari Marketplace and Porsche Marketplace, which are two marks that have seemingly been pitted against each other throughout history. How did you come to work with both of them? Uh, usually Ferrari guys aren't Porsche guys and vice versa. <laughs> you know, you, you got to love the German engineering and the precision. Yes. You know, I, I'm huge in regards to, hey, so, you know, fit, finish, form, function, and the Germans do better than anybody. I'm also a big fan of just design and, and style. And then no one does it better than Italians. So it's kind of both sides of it. So you have two totally different, I guess, you know, styles there. I mean, you drive a Porsche, man, you just feel it. It's just there. But then also you drive a Ferrari, 
you feel it in your soul. It's like, you know, it's just kind of something that burns India. So it's kind of a yin and yang type situation. And I just appreciate and respect both of the brands so much. You know, it just works that way. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, two of the bigger, biggest players in regards to, especially on the, um, on the used car side that uh, I guess you say have the most inquiries, the most kind of, I guess, people wanting to go down those paths. In agreeing with what you just said, uh, I dated a girl years ago whose dad daily to 308. And, God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, if it as long as it wasn't snowing, that's the car he drove. And I got to ride in that thing, and he'd had plenty of work done to it, and nothing sounded like that did. It was fantastic to be in the cabin. The flip side of that is, uh, just a few years ago, I did, got to drive a 20,000-mile 1996 uh, Carrera 2. The thing was like brand new, and I've never driven anything that steered and handled the way that did. Oh, I want to do that more. And so I, I get both sides of the argument. I think the thing that would probably scare me away from a Ferrari is usually the maintenance is, is really a bear, and unless you get older ones, it's tough to do yourself. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, you know, I mean, anything that's probably about, you know, 2010 and newer, you know, even maybe a little bit older. I mean, you are, you got to have a degree in computers, you know, to be able yeah. to figure them out and work on really that. You know, you start with your, you know, on the Ferrari side, your 430s and older, 360s going on down. I mean, you could still work on them to an extent yourself. They're not that difficult. And, and honestly, YouTube's fantastic. You know, oh, yeah. I tell these guys that got the car, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. It's just a car. It's an engine. You know, yeah, those ones to that point, yeah, they had some computer system and stuff like that. But normally it's all mechanical stuff that you got to worry about. And it's just general maintenance stuff. You know, yeah, I, I don't think you want to go the whole hog and have to do the engine out service on the Ferrari and change your belts and everything yourself. You're going to want to let someone else do that unless you really know what you're doing. Um Okay. Like Porsches themselves, you know, you get into the 997 series. I mean, they're, I always hate saying it, but it's still a Volkswagen motor in essence. Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> but, and on the Ferrari side, get a 308 or a 328. Pull the passenger side rear tire and pull the fender liner out of it. You can do the belt service yourself. Exactly. There's ways to figure this stuff out. You know, it's, and it's not that intimidating. I, I could see, you know, the first time you go to do it, but after you do it once, oh, this isn't that bad. You know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, um, I think people just get a little nervous about, you know, doing it themselves, you know, but I always tell these guys, any car you're going to have is always going to require maintenance. It doesn't matter if you're driving a, a 65 Mustang or you're driving a 1982 308 or what have you, you're always going to be working on this oh, yeah. thing a little bit here and there. You just, it's just the way it is. It's an old car. Yeah. They're you know? never so done. Just, they're never yeah. done. No, never. You know, and stuff, it's going to, hey, it, it gets old. You got, it breaks and whatnot. You just take. And this is why I always tell guys, though, too, it's like, don't let the car sit. Drive the thing. Please. Yeah. Don't be like one of those ones. Oh, I only got 2,000 miles on my 1999, whatever. What are you saving oh. it for? This is. It, yeah. It, it, now, Why'd you buy it? <laughs> we've we've heard this comparison, and it's really off color, and I apologize to anybody who is. No, I don't. <laughs> That's that's like not making love to your wife because you're saving her for the next guy. Why? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, that always baffles me. Yes. It just 
I don't get it. Super crude, but it really hammers the point home, uh, if you'll pardon the pun. Now, you've mentioned some of the services that are offered by Exotic Car Marketplace. Who specifically are your customers? I'm not asking you to name names. Just what do they do and uh, what what do you do for them? It kind of runs the gamut. I, I deal with the guy that's got multiple cars. You know, he's got the big, huge bank account. And not say money's no object, but he's you know, talking he, about he, you, he, Mark. Oh, obviously, <laughs> yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, and because they'll start, they'll think about it more as an investment side majority of the time than so much so as, hey, I just always wanted this car. Hey, I like this car. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, where's the market at? What do you feel? Da, 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 you're going out, so it's kind of working on that side. But I always try to say, take that out of the equation. Hey, what do you want to get and buy? You know, so but. A lot of these guys, it's about, hey, am I going to get my money back and then some? Um, so it's kind of a different situation with them. And they're trying to round out collections in regards to what they already have and say, what can balance this thing out? What else can I have to really kind of stand out amongst all my other buddies, you know, that have all these big collections? Because, you know, they I hate to say it, you know, a lot of these guys, it's a pissing context among each other. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, but the fun ones I have is the guy that's, you know, he saved for a long time or he finally got that job where he can go out and he can buy his first Ferrari, his first Porsche. That's always awesome because it's, you know, they're buying it because it's something they've always wanted, you know, and that passion's there. And they're not, they're not looking to say, Oh, okay, I'm going to spend X, but hopefully when I get done with this, I'm going to have Y, Yeah, you know, that ain't it. They're like, okay, I want to get this car. Cause I want to go to uh, cars and coffees. I wanted to you know, go into these events da, 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 and, you know, and normally, hey, and I want to you know, be able to pass this down to my son because it's something me and my son can go do or me and my daughter can go do and, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's the guy that's a lot of fun you have helping them find what they want, you know, because um, the big thing in a lot of those cars is, you know, finding the history of provenance in the background of the car, you know, maintenance. Where was it worked at? You know, hey, is everything matching where it should be? You know, no accidents, what have you. No what was done with the car? I mean, you know, you want the thing that, you want the guy who has the car. It's got the big binder. Yeah. Of everything <laughs> that was done to that car. You got the full history. You, know, you got some guys says, well, I got the oil change receipts. I got it from, you know, quickie loop, you know, for the past couple of years. That's about it. It's like, well, I don't want that car because God knows what's wrong with it. Telling the guy, hey, get a PPI done on it. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, spend that money up front. Hey, if it's going to cost you $500 to go get a PPI done on it, even a little bit more. And have it gone through, kind of tell you, hey, you're going to have to do this. This might need to be done, da, da, da. And you're spending $150,000, $200,000 on a car. Oh, yeah. I think that $500,000 or $500 to $1,000 investment up front no, it's, is well it, worth it. It goes without saying. It, it absolutely makes sense. Tell us about Fairbach Design Works. What is it? What does it do? And how did you wind up being director? Well, a gentleman by the name of Michael Hodges. Uh, reached out to me um, and Chris writes, who actually is a descendant of Ferry Porsche. Um, actually, he headed up uh, Alfa Romeo design department. He actually did the, the Julia, the new Julia nap. Um, so he's got a pretty nice CV himself. Um, you know, he wanted to go back and kind of with his family lineage and DNA in regards to, like I say, pay homage to, the you know, bars and everything from the 50s and 60s, kind of some of the newer stuff like with the GT1 and that. But what I take was the 997 series GT3, and in essence, kind of put all these little touches to it, exterior-wise, whatnot, and just take it to a different level 
in essence, make an RSR for the street. Oh. Because we're going to make it a mid-engine car. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a pricey vehicle. Um, but like I said, you know, it's gorgeous. You know, and like I said, Chris has got a hell of a resume in regards to design. And the subsequent vehicles that are in the pipeline behind it are just phenomenal. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're working, we're close to the initial stages of finalizing some funding to get that put together so we can start getting the initial cars, get a couple of prototypes, get up and going, take them there. I mean, we're going to do a limited run. We're not sure, you know, anywhere between probably, I think, 50 to 75 cars potentially be the total on that. Then we'll go to the next model. Obviously, like that singer level type quality, but really kind of starting from scratch. You know, I always look at singer, gorgeous car. Rob does a great phenomenal what he's done but he just basically took that 911 and he's just refined it and tightened everything up and made it really nice and tight and clean and just took that interior i mean just took it to a different level Box actually taking this car and doing the performance side of it actually you know and exterior wise but in interior wise motor wise everything making it you know completely bespoke per to each customer it's just going to be a lot of fun working with these people that want to you know can, can get these cars but something's really exciting like I mentioned in the beginning, we're bringing in that 917K under the brand as well. So we could have some few other options here. I don't know if I should say it, but I will. Because um, we're actually looking at potentially is reverse engineering and building a new flat 12 engine. Oh, no kidding. It would go to 917. Potentially, if you wanted to, put it in the GTL as well. But then also sell it as just a separate crate motor when we get out there. So. We also have that kind of in the works. I'm looking at the interior of the GTL Coupe, and that thing is stunning. That is gorgeous. When will this be ready? Uh, hopefully, our plan is potentially, if we get this locked down by the end of the year, like our plans are at the beginning of the year, that we should be able to have probably not a fully functioning car, but the rolling chassis and, and exterior-wise. I don't know about the interior-wise stuff, but at least... You know, so you can see what the car looked like aesthetic-wise from the outside by Pebble Beach next year. No kidding. And yeah, so we got we got about a, a – it's just to have that rolling chassis and do the exterior stuff prototype-wise to make it presentable. It's about six, seven months to do it. So if we can get everything we need lockdown-wise um, by the beginning of the year at the latest, we, we should be in that window. Um, and I, I can't get into who's getting involved with it on that side of it, but – there's some other big names that are getting involved on that side of it as well that can are really going to just <laughs> be excited to see how it turns out. Yeah, uh, so it's going to be exciting. What do you think of the recent Ferrari 250 GTO sale? And do you think it would have gone for more a year ago? No, I don't think so. Because here's what people, you know, here's what people keep forgetting. They keep seeing that 250 GTO moniker on that car. That car started out as a 330 LM. Yeah, it was not a 250 GTO. After they got done racing, it got sent back to the factory. They put the smaller motor back into it and took everything back and redid it as a 250 GTO, then sent it back out to private customers and to race in that. I think the provenance there, I mean, they were trying to push the fact 250 GTO, raced by the Scuderia. And I was like, well, it's not a true Series 1 250 GTO. Those are the ones people want, is that Series 1, the first one's built. That's it. You know, you have your subsequent Series 2 ones. You had some Series 1s that rebodies the Series 2s, and Series 2s they put back to Series 1 rebodied. You know, and, you know, you have your four 330 LMs. You know, so it kind of goes – it's kind of an argument in regards to it. But 
if it was a true 250 GTO Series 1, one of the first was a 21 um, of those, that thing would have probably broke the 70, 80 million mark. But just it wasn't a true 250 GTO in essence from at birth, I guess you would say. Still impressive breaking 51 million with a VIG. God. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a hell of a number. You know, it's, it's, it's up there, but, you know, it's, if you look at a lot of what's going on, though, now it's, I don't want to say it's becoming common, but, you know, there's a lot of other cars that have been going for big dollars. Um, yeah. Uh, hitting, hitting those high water marks in regards to it. So, I mean, yeah, it's an impressive number, but, you know, will that car then be seen ever again out in public? Cause you know, those owners of those cars, they have their own little click. They have their own little tours. They do their little gatherings every few years and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Hey, you know, did the person buy the car one because they love it, they want to have it, or they buy it because, oh, I want to be one of those 35 people, 36 guys that got one. And you- I'm going to, you know, mingle with these people. You know, it's kind of, you know, you got to wonder sometimes. That's why it's, you know, you see those guys that have had them for 20, 30 years. You know, you look at Nick Mason, you look yeah. at Lord Banford, you know, they got, you know, those guys aren't going to sell their cars. But those guys are, you know, man, they, they take their cars, they drive their cars, they show their cars, you know. It's fantastic. You Nick, know, you see what they do. I mean, it's awesome. Nick Mason was exactly who I had in mind when you brought that up. I'm wondering if this one that just sold will ever show up someplace like the Goodwood Historics or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, because, again, it kind of goes back to what I said before. Those cars are made to be driven. You know, yeah, they stick them in a the museum somewhere and they just sit there static. That's People want to see them out and about, see them going around the tracks and being seen driven. Well, and you they, know. They just atrophy. They rot. They don't do exactly. Anything. You know, there was um, what's her name, Jamie. Uh, was it Jamie Kidd? You know, she does that. You know, she does this kid in a sweet shop or YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And a little while back, she went to Nick's you know garage, but he was she was met Nick's wife, and they took out a two seventy five GTB four <laughs> cam and the two fifty GTO. So one of them each drive that and. Nick's wife is a hell of a driver. She can, she's a good racer. She's solid. I mean, all his kids are, they race and whatnot, but she can drive a car. So they just took it out, went out, got coffee, whatnot. They switched cars. I mean, it's that type of appreciation you have for someone that owns that car. You know, it's like, look, they drive it, they use it. I mean, hell, you got to appreciate Nick putting that car up as collateral to fund their 88 tour. Yeah. I think it was, whatever it was that the Pink Floyd uh, came back <laughs> tour. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I'll put it up there as collateral. Yeah, I had to miss that because I was graduating. Yeah. <laughs> I told my mom I was going to go see Pink Floyd. She said, no, you're not. <laughs> hell of a concert. A hell of a concert. That's what them. I heard. It was. I was, in, I was in radio at the time as a DJ in Salina, Kansas. They came to Kansas City and uh, came in and saw them at Arrowhead. Missed meeting the band by 10 minutes. Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's just digging up all hurts. I am so triggered right now. <laughs> hey, I was... I, I That's my friend Dave Scott, and he'll I, tell you how much of an asshole I was for missing that. I was sunburnt and sitting in a double-breasted suit <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a graduation gown and a hot auditorium, man. <laughs> yeah, but you made it look good. Oh. <laughs> oh, I was, well, I'd gotten that red Corvette uh, two days before graduation, and then... Uh, graduation day i didn't have to be anywhere until like three or four in the afternoon so i took off in that car and i drove around i was wearing a pair of gym shorts no shirt oh no nothing and i got crisp 
Yeah, I was, you did. I was fried. And then I had to <laughs> went, go home and I didn't realize, I, I knew I was a little crispy, but I didn't realize how bad until I had to put on a dress shirt and a tie and a jacket. And I was like, oh my God, oh, it hurts. <laughs> it all hurts. Oh, it hurt. It hurt so bad. <laughs> William, you're the chairman and founder of the newest concours in the country, the Rock and Revs Concours in Cleveland. Uh, can you tell us about the genesis of the concours? Uh, what sets rock and revs apart from others? And uh, where in Cleveland is it going to be held? We had got it set up. And basically, you know, I, I go to a lot of these events throughout the year. You know, as you guys attend, you know, events, you go to these a lot and stuff. And it was kind of, you know, occurred to me. I was sitting there and why would we not have something like this in Cleveland? Close we got is Detroit, which is almost three, two and a half, three hours away. Pittsburgh's got their one, which is about two and a half hours away. Nothing in Columbus, nothing like that. I mean, so it's like in Cleveland, we got right there on the lakefront. And we got the perfect venue, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Cleveland Stadium there. We got all this grass here, the Great Lake Science Center, Voinovich Park, everything like that. I'm like, so, you know, it just kind of hit me one day. So I started making a couple phone calls and called the Rock Hall. Yeah, we love the idea. All right. Called the Crawford Hall Museum. Oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds something we might want to participate in. All right. So called over the Great Lake Science Center. Oh, yeah, no, that'd be something we could, yeah, that'd be fantastic. All right. Called the city of Cleveland. I'm bored, so it's like, I guess I got to do this. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, okay. Um, you know, it, it just kind of occurred to me. It's like, you know, one thing, because obviously with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in Cleveland, you know, everyone says it's the birthplace of rock and roll because, you know, what's his name? Coined the phrase here. You know, I wouldn't know so much the birthplace, but just all because he coined the phrase. But it's like, you know, cars and music and music and cars kind of influence each other immensely. In regards to just, hey, music, songs, hey, just design, everything like that. Hey, you know, they take a lot of that hand in hand. And it's like, hey, why don't we have something that's kind of based between the two in regards to, hey, cars and music, music and cars. You know, hey, getting something that's a little more interactive in regards to just, hey, we got just cars parked and everyone looking at them. Hey, let's get some things where we bring in some, you know, the Model T Club. Hey, you know, for because everything's for charity. You know, someone could pay a hundred bucks or whatever it is to teach how to drive a Model T, you know, um, stuff like that. You know, just kind of more interact stuff and having the rock hall, going through, do a tour of the rock hall with it. But then having bands, you know, set up a stage, have bands playing, you know, throughout the day and then having like a nice big concert Saturday night that, you know, it's kind of separate. But, hey, you know, again, raising money for the charities uh, and do it. Just so, making something that's just a little more, I guess you say, I guess it's fun and exciting, more interactive, you know, things to do. And so I just said, you know. Walking here, seeing the car, car, car. Okay, come back, same car, same car. All right, we're done. You know, hey, what can we do to get people, like, actually doing stuff? We had, you know, ideas and stuff to go because the Burke Airport's right there. So we had some other things that are kind of in the works that have been down the road in subsequent years. Unfortunately, the Rock Hall decides that we're going to – they're doing a huge expansion, big construction, whatnot. Um, so it's kind of really going to put the – damper on the location mm. and then because we were supposed to have our first event this year but then all of a sudden on top of that the haslam's the at the stadium all of a sudden decided to have an event that saturday which was going to have about 60 to seventy thousand people wow. whatnot so i got a call from the city of cleveland first and then 10 minutes after that i got a call from Haslam. hey uh, i don't think you can do your event because we're having this going on and the streets can't get closed down because of the events going on and that so it's like well all this was in place. Well, all right. So I guess we just had to cancel it. We're like, well, we haven't signed the paperwork yet. So we might. So it was like, I can't go by what ifs. So yeah. I just have to, you know, we're going to have to cancel this year and figure something out. 
Well, oddly enough, a few months later, a uh, it's not a cockroach, but just a car show that was gone on for many years here. The people that were doing it, this was going to be their last year. And they approached me and asked me if I wanted to take it over. And, and this is the funny part, which is kind of weird, is actually that event takes place the same weekend that we were having our schedule for. Oh, no oh. way. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, all right, this is kind of, I don't know, someone above is kind of, you know, pulling some strings or whatnot. But I was kind of like thought about it. I talked with, because, you know, actually Don from Garage Style Magazine's helping with this and Eric and a couple other people. It's like, no, hey, everything's all in place. It's already an event that's there. So getting cars already are set, we'll just have to get the car, the cars we want there and just get everything taken place. So it's in a uh, suburb of Cleveland Mountain Fairview Park, beautiful venue. It's got this big field. If weather is bad, we have a parking lot we can utilize. We got backup, but it kind of coincides with this uh, summer fest event they have where they got the carnival rides and everything like that going on. So there's a lot of other things going on. So people that come to the event can also then go over and go on the rides and kind of do everything like that. So again, it, it gets that other aspect of it going. Now it won't be a multi-day event like we wanted originally, but you know, we can, at some point in time, as it grows, we can move it. So it kind of just gets the basis going down, but just, I felt this area needed something at a level of like what they were doing in some other cities. Cleveland's a huge car city. I mean, we got Ford and GM plants here at the Yin Yang. Um, uh, you know, back in the early 1900s, I think there was like 20, 15 or 20 some odd car manufacturers here in the Cleveland region alone. They, I mean, they all went out of business, but, um, you know, so the, the car culture and history is, it's massive here in Cleveland. So it just made sense to kind of, hey, let's put something together. And like I said, when I got on the phone and just offered up the idea, everyone loved it. And so it's like, I guess we're doing it. So here we are. You were involved in a number of charitable organizations and endeavors. Uh, how did that happen? How did you become aligned with so many different uh, organizations? And which charities do you support or lend your time? Uh, well, as you mentioned, I'm a wish granter with Make-A-Wish. And all that really entails is, you know, I you know, when a child has a wish, we help facilitate it. So I just kind of help coordinate some things and help facilitate, hey, if it's a construction type situation, trip, whatnot, doing stuff. So wherever I can lend a hand with that, I help kind of facilitate those. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of wish granters, so it's, it's not like it's a frequent situation, but, you know, um, it's just wherever I can help in that regard. Uh, but the other things that I, I'm very close to, you know, helping kids that are in those type of situations. I help out an organization here called Aluminum Cans for Burnt Children, ACBC for short. Basically what it is, we're affiliated with all the fire departments and all the fire stations here in the region. We have drop-off locations where people can take their aluminum cans, drop them off. We take those cans, we get them, you know, take them to a recycler. We get the money from that and the money we get from that because we're partnered with the Metro Health Unit down here. It's got probably one of the best burn unit centers in the country. Kids that have been injured in a fire, we send them to summer camp, a winter camp. Uh, we just actually took a bunch of kids to Chicago for uh, one of the kids that went through the program, lives in Chicago, and he was in a play, uh, one of the leading roles there. So we took a bunch of kids to Chicago, little road trip. A lot of these kids have never been out of the state. You know, unfortunately, the demographics for these kids that get injured you know, they're from fairly low income families. So the, the opportunities to kind of one, to do stuff like that, but two, to be able to afford care, aftercare and stuff like that is where we try and step in. So that's where we try and raise the money through the can collection. Uh, then we do fundraisers and stuff like that throughout the year. 
Um, but the other side of it is I'm also a huge animal advocate. Um, I help out. I'm on the board and I volunteer at a local animal shelter. Um, I got my cats from there. But then another one where I got my dogs from, I do animal transport for them on the rare occasion because they're about an hour away, but they get dogs from all over. So if they need my help, I'll go pick up the animal and take them out to their uh, shelter out there in Marblehead. So it's just things that are near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm fortunate in this, what I do in the situation I'm in, that I have the time to be able to do it. Um, it's just something that's very meaningful to me and I'm more than happy to do it. And once helping these kids, seeing them and the joy they get is just outstanding. But then also helping these animals um, is just, it's unbelievable. So it's just, you know, very rewarding. It's just, I said, I'm just very fortunate that I'm in the position I can give back like that. You got a lot of balls in the air. How do you find time to do all the stuff you do? I, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I am very, I honestly, I'd say very long days, but I said, I'm usually up by like 5 a.m. at the latest. Um, Cause a lot of stuff I deal with is actually also overseas as well. So like I'm up at five, it's already almost late morning, early afternoon in some places I deal with. So, you know, I get up phone calls, emails, get that out of the way. So that's usually a few hours. Um, then I kind of go do what else I have to do, but you know, the stuff with the cars, you know, that there's really no set schedule for that. Um, that's, hey, as I get a call or whatnot, or we have to go do, it's kind of working just, hey, when it happens. So there's really no set schedule to it. So it's, hey, it could be in the morning, it could be the afternoon, evening, what have you. Um, it's just kind of just keeping things organized, uh, making it happen. You know, it's, um, it's not too difficult. It's just time management. In addition to all of the car stuff and the charities and everything else you do, you and I have something else in common in that we are both ordained ministers. What prompted you to uh, to, to become ordained? And do you perform wedding ceremonies? You know, it was kind of a, a running joke about doing it. But then a situation arose with uh, a family member that wanted to get married. And the person they had lined up to do it couldn't do it. Something happened. Uh, and I said, well, hey, I'll get ordained online in uh, Universal Life Church and do everything. And I'll marry her. Like, would you do it? I'm like, yeah. So I did it for them. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So I just kind of do weddings and stuff for friends and families here and there that, you know, not ever like it's never in a church. It's always kind of like, hey, it's an outdoor situation. It's at their house or they have it somewhere else. You know, it's kind of ones where, you know, they're not looking for that structure of the church in regards to having the ceremony. Um, but it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's very neat to do. It's just, you know, it's something different. Do them here and there. But it's just a lot of fun. You know, it, it's something that's interesting. And I always get it, you know, having lot, lots to do. I always think it's like interesting, right? Life's too short because before you know it, you're out of here. And it's that adage back in like whatever grade it was where it said, write your own obituary. What do you want it to say? Cool. You know, do you want it to be two lines or do you want it to be a hell half page or what do you want it to be? I'm going for a whole page. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. What what our <laughs> listeners can't see, at least until we get video up, and that's coming very soon, is that William is wearing the dude's sweater from the Big Lebowski. And the reason for that is when we talked earlier today, I told him that I was ordained in the Church of the Latter-day Dude. Yes, that is, in fact, a thing. <laughs> And I, I com. look it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
William said, I have that sweater. I said, no, you don't. And he said, yes, I do. And he's <laughs> yes, wearing the he sucker. Do. So yes, he do. <laughs> he, yeah. was, he was not fibbing. All right. Finally, what is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Legal or illegal? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care if the statute of limitations hasn't run out. I want to hear the best dumb car story you got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got a few. I can start with the first one. That's not so bad. My first ever car I got was a Mazda GLC, a little hatchback piece of junk. But jumping them over the railroad tracks from going from Bay Village into Westlake, perfect thing to launch it. Yep. Beat the shit out of that car. And it kept running. I mean, just like crazy. I won't go into specifics, but I will say on a cross-country road trip from Ohio to California, from New Mexico into Arizona, the people I was riding with, there was three of us in two cars. And let's just say we weren't doing stuff very legal, I'll just say. <laughs> we were having some fun. I was in my early 20s. All of us were. And, you know, you're, you're out thinking things, right? So you're out going in the desert, just going in a straight line. So we had some fun. <laughs> let's just say that. How, fa- um, how fast will this tin can go? Exactly. That was that was one of them. Yeah. You know, and, you know, so but <laughs> there were some other things going on that were being consumed, I would say. Yes, um, yes. Going that way. So um, that was that was a lot of fun. And I, I guess the other one, yeah, I won't get into, but let's just say it involved <laughs> marital relations, you know. Oh. Uh... Not just the one-sided, <laughs> both-sided, going down the highway at about 70. Yeah. <laughs> I may or may not be guilty of that one. My dad listens to this show, and I talked to him earlier today, and I said, you know, there's a whole bunch of crap I don't want to say on the show because I know you hear it. And he says... <laughs> I don't care anymore. I'm not responsible for you anymore. So exactly. If you washed my hands of that. Yeah. If, if you're doing garbage, it's on you. Go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Have uh, at it. I, yeah. I don't care. I'm still not telling him. Yeah, yeah. No, I would. Yeah. Now, I mean, but I mean, geez, if you really start writing down all the stuff you did, you start, you'd have this like two, three page list. We go, Oh my God, what was I thinking there? Oh my God. What was I doing? You know, it's, Oh, I know I was only 17 there. Oh, I would know I was only 19 there. Yeah, I was only 37. I did so much dumb crap that I don't even want to start making the list because I'm afraid of how long it's going to be. And I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of it. You ever notice if you do something habitually after a while, it doesn't seem that bad until somebody sees you. (laughs) Why are you driving sideways? I don't know. It's wet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm still going in the right direction. I'm no, just not pointing so, that way. I'm, I just just because I'm going door handle first doesn't mean there's anything wrong, you know. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can relate. We've been speaking with William Ross of Exotic Car Marketplace and the Rock and Revs Concours in Cleveland. William, please take a minute. Tell us everywhere we can find you online and on social media. Well, like I said, you know, if you look, just go to exoticcarmarketplace.com or TheFerrariMarketplace.com or ThePorscheMarketplace.com. Those will all take you right to the uh, website. Uh, You can check everything out. Uh, Looking out for like Instagram and on YouTube, we got the thing is Garage 65. Now, when you spell it out, you got to spell garage and the word 60, then the number five. The reason for that is because garage, the number 65, GoDaddy wanted $3,000 for that domain name. So I was like, no. So I did garage 60, then the number five. Oh, hey, that was a dollar. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. William, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Sound like he's got a little bit going on, maybe? That's a busy dude. Yeah, I bet he doesn't He's having fun doing it. Yeah. uh, No grass grows on him. He's not sitting still. (laughs) You're not wrong. 
man, I, there's just so much cool stuff of his I want to check out. I was looking at the websites while we were talking to William and looking at Exotic Car Marketplace and uh, looking at some of the articles that they'd written about that uh, the GTL Coupe. Mm-hmm. Man, he's he's just got a ton happening right now. It it must be uh, difficult to keep it all straight. Well, you know, it's it's a lot of numbers. Yeah, a lot of big numbers. Yeah. Well, but here's somebody who relies on his schedule. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's got a full calendar, Jack. <laughs> anyway, William, thank you so much for being on with us. We appreciate it. Uh, we know how valuable your time is, even more so now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for wrong. spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. If you have a story you would like to tell or someone you would like us to interview, please contact me at brett at drivenradioshow.com. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.